1: What will I become?
0: Senwa Saga,
1: Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
0: Monster House presents...
1: Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our monster talk audience and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. It's
0: actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before.
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stolzner.
1: Wales is a country in the United Kingdom. Like Scotland, it's part of the same island as England and shares a complex history with the other parts of the UK. Karen went looking for someone to help us learn more about monsters from Wales, and she came up with artist Cole Ellis. Cole has a new book out in July called Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts, a guide to the legendary creatures from Celtic Welsh myth and legend. It's a simply gorgeous collection of art depicting monsters from Welsh folklore, along with a short prose tale about each of the illustrated creatures. I believe in the interview that we thought the book was going to have a July release, but it looks like on Amazon that they're saying it's going to be out in August. Regardless, it's a book that you can pre-order right now, and you're going to want to snag it if you're the sort of person who likes beautiful illustrations of monsters or knows someone who does. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, Cole Ellis. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I
2: am a fantasy artist from Wales, and I specialize in depicting mythical creatures from different cultures. But my main focus recently
1: has been on Welsh mythical creatures. The art's gorgeous. Beautiful. Karen, how did you, how did you find them?
0: We like to look at uh, monsters and cryptids and creatures all around the world. And we've spoken to people about uh, uh, Irish monsters and English <clears throat> monsters. And we thought oh, it's about time we look at some Welsh monsters. So I just Googled Welsh monsters and you came up. <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. <laughs>
2: That's brilliant.
0: So it, it it all worked out. And uh yeah, your book is just beautiful. We oh, really need you. to urge our listeners to go and check it out. Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts. And
2: I believe it's just being released now. It's um I think it's coming out uh, it's coming out on the second of July this year.
1: Oh fantastic Oh, it's pre order. I see the pre order link yeah. now.
2: You can pre order it from most books. Yeah, which is perfect, I think.
1: Yeah, so we'll have a a link in the show notes uh, so you can go pick this up.
0: Cole, how did you become interested in monsters and what motivated you to write this book? Um, Well, I think
2: I've always been really interested in mythical creatures ever since I was a kid. Um, Just anything to do with monsters and mythology and dragons, that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, I loved reading (laughs) The Hobbit when I was a kid as well Um, and as I got sort of, I was a teenager, I was introduced to Lord of the Rings as well and I absolutely loved that. Um but yeah, I noticed um when I was going on holiday to places like like Iceland or Norway and stuff i was I was seeing so many books on the local mythology um and a lot of the time when people come to Wales and they go to the tourist spots here, you don't really have that much there, there's some, um and that what's available is good, but there isn't that much that contains a lot of art and visuals to go with it um so I thought that. You know, it, somebody needed to to create something that when somebody is visiting Wales, they could learn a little bit about the the mythology and the culture.
1: If I wanted to go to Wales, where would I go? Where is Wales?
2: Uh, Wales <laughs> is <laughs> it, it's a it's a part of the United Kingdom, um, and it is on the the west coast, sort of between Ireland and the England. Gotcha. Okay, so we'll put a map as
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: fine. I was
0: joking. I'm from New South Wales in Australia, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, we uh, Welsh is a really interesting language. It's been uh, endangered for quite some time now. Um, I um, have read about uh, colonisation and the English basically trying to stamp out uh, the use of Welsh and all kinds of punishments for kids and things like that. Uh, but I think, yeah, we just wanted to talk a little bit bit about uh the welsh language before we get into these sure for us difficult pronunciations of some of these dragons
2: (laughs) i'm a i'm a learner myself um so i'm not a fluent speaker but i can definitely help with the pronunciations
1: Uh, what kind of monsters are in your book and how did how did you make the selection on what to include
2: um well i sort of it sort of started off as like a a small project where i was sort of just documenting welsh mythical creatures um and at the time I worked um, for this company called The Night Shop in Conway. And we had an awful lot of customers coming in. And when they sort of got wind of what I was doing, because we were sort of talking about it, more and more people were sort of coming in with local stories. And they're like, oh, have you heard about the Avank?" And I was like, oh, no, I haven't heard about that one. And, and they sort of came in with all this information. They said, oh, you have to look this up. And, and I, they I, they just kept bringing things in every so often. I was like, oh, there's, there's yeah. so much here. Than, than what I realized um mm-hmm. so I just started writing it all down I was thinking there isn't anything available which sort of documents these specific creatures and it would be so cool to have like a little guidebook or something um mm. so I just I kickstarted like a small guidebook um and it did way beyond what I expected it to on uh on kickstarter nice uh, yeah fantastic and then, after that, it just kept growing. I had more and more people then sending me messages going, "Oh, there's one from my local town oh there's there's this one and this one that you know I hadn't even heard of, and I was thinking, "Oh, I could make it even bigger book <laughs> so a couple <laughs> of years later, I just decided to sort of redo it properly um like as a as a as a as a bigger book with more things in um and I did that again on mm-hmm. Kickstarter, and it did even better, <laughs> which was re- which was a huge surprise wow. um And then I got in touch with a publisher in Canada um, called Eye of Newt um, Publishing, and they wanted to to publish it, basically. So it sort of spiraled. It, It sort of started off as like a little sort of hyper-focused passion project and it just sort of spiraled out of control Mm -hmm. Um, but in the best possible way it's it's just been it's been fascinating to see how many people were were interested in Welsh mythology and just how many people abroad were really interested there's there's been a lot of people in the US in Canada in in Norway as well surprisingly um who've wanted to learn about it
1: yeah, so there, just, there's so much interest in folklore right now, which is great. And and I, I like that people are keeping – even in this digital age, it's actually helping keep the stories alive mm-hmm. and spreading them all over. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's the thing. A lot of these stories were either told by word of mouth, by sort of local people, or they were very fragmented. Um, so I was sort of traipsing through books and things, trying to piece together – what little there was of each legend. Some of the pages in the book aren't very long. There'll be like a couple of passages because that's literally all I could find on that specific creature. Whereas others have got like a whole page or two pages dedicated to them because I've been able to scrounge all kinds of um, little snippets of information on them. Um, But again, it just depended what I could find. Um, And the thing is, I'm still finding more. Um, so I definitely, there'll, there'll definitely be more stuff in the future, I think. Um, but this is what I managed to find all the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's, a, it's such a beautiful book
0: and, uh, it's really, it needed to be written. So it's fantastic. You're the person to do that. And, uh, I think we should start talking about some Welsh monsters. And, uh, when I think of Wales, I always think of the Welsh flag and the beautiful red dragon on the flag.
2: Yeah, I think it's the the one that most people would associate straight away. If if, you, if if you know where Wales is and what Wales is, you would you would know of the Red Dragon or a dragoch, as we call it. Um, but the the interesting thing is that there's there's so many other types of dragon associated with Wales, um, that people wouldn't necessarily have known about. Um, there's the story as well of of the the red and the white dragon. That's usually the first one that people are introduced to. Um, at least that's the one I learned about in school. Um, but I didn't know about other sort of dragon like creatures in Welsh mythology. There's, there's the Avanc, there's the Gwybir, um, there's Cockatrice as well, or Selyog I think I pronounced that right. people probably correct me, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, which is basically like a a Cockatrice.
1: (laughs) Let's assume our, our listeners haven't heard about the red dragon, um, what, what is, is there like a, a like a classic story about this creature? Like, why is it associated with Wales?
2: Um, there's a there's a quite a long history as to sort of how the Red Dragon ended up on the flag, um, and that's sort of a sort of separate story. But one of the, the main sort of legends in Wales was that um, there was a a king, King Vortigern, who was trying to um, build a castle in this sort of area of North Wales called, um, Dinas Emerus, um, which is near Beth Gellert. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's, it's usually, it's quite a popular, um, tourist spot but people really like to go there because it's okay. quite beautiful. Um, okay. and basically he's, tr- he's sort of trying to build this, uh, this fort on the mountain and the fort keeps falling down. Um, and I, I'm gonna try and say hopefully I've pronounced it right. It's Methyn, um, who is basically Merlin, um, discovers that there are two dragons sleeping underneath the uh the foundations in a in a cave, and they keep fighting. Um, and there's a red one and a white one, and they sort of a, they sort of escape and get out and they start flying around and attacking each other um and basically the the red one eventually sort of wins out and sort of scares away the white one um and that was sort of a a prophecy almost of the the Welsh sort of fighting off the Anglo-Saxons so that's that story <laughs> nice. was is probably the most famous one to do with the uh with the red dragon
1: so I didn't see this in the list but when I think about monsters of Wales uh, and I'm not sure this is even exactly a monster, but it sort of is. Is the Pooka?
2: Oh yes, yeah. That that was a really interesting one because I hadn't heard about that one until I started writing the book, um, and somebody sort of came to me with information about it. Um, it seems to be more of a an Irish legend, but they it's sort of there's a lot of crossover between Irish mythology and. Uh, Welsh mythology, and this is definitely one of them because it's sort of pronounced the same way, it's sort of spelt differently. So in in Ireland, I think I think it's spelt with a with an O, and in Wales it's spelt with a W. Um, so it's P W C A. Um, really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Nice,
2: <laughs> and it, it, I think they're very similar creatures. They're they're like a shape shifting creature it kind of like nobody really knows what its normal form looks like um but some sort of say that it looks like a le like a lemur with wings or something with these sort of long mm. fingers um the only thing that sort of gives them away apparently is that they have red eyes um or jet black or bright white fur but they are they are absolutely fascinating
1: <laughs> have you ever seen the mo- the american movie harvey no no i haven't sorry it, it's a jimmy stewart Comedy, and I don't know what year it came out, but it, it's a black and white. I, but it's about a guy who's become entangled with a Puka, and uh-huh. and it, it's he's the only person who can see it, and it, okay. he see, he sees it as a human sized talking rabbit, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a really a, it's a very very funny movie, but it introduced me to the Puka as I was I must have been like seven or eight when I saw that movie. I just loved it. Who's Harvey? Uh, rabbit six feet tall six feet six feet three and a half inches now let's stick to the facts
0: well anyway i was walking down along the street and i i heard this voice saying good evening mr dog well i i turned around and here was this big six foot rabbit leaning up against a lamppost i I thought nothing of that because when you've lived in the town as long as i've lived in this one you get used to the fact
1: that everybody knows your name
2: in most mythologies i think they they like like most shape changes they they are tricksters they like exactly.
1: to like, mm-hmm. teach
2: you uh, lessons uh, and play pranks uh, on you and yeah they're they're quite interesting characters
0: a creature that i was interested in looking through your book that's i guess related to the the dragons and i'm mm-hmm. sure i won't be pronouncing this correctly at all because with welsh spelling and pronunciation don't always seem to match the guy with the flying flying viper
2: yeah, yeah, it's a, a gwybber. That's
0: a, a terrifying-looking creature.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're basically like a like a, a an adder or like a like a like a <laughs> British adder. We don't have that many venomous snakes here in the UK. Um, but the only one we have is a, is an adder, so they were sort of quite feared. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the the idea of a gwybber is, is an adder that has grown absolutely enormous and sort of turned into a dragon so it's sort of it's grown wings it's grown in huge venomous creature basically and they they are quite Mm -hmm. quite scary i've been to the the area where the one of the legends comes from um penmachno um and that that whole area Mm -hmm. is is quite spooky it's it's quite sort of overbearing and and there's all these trees and this this deep ravine um so you can definitely see Mm -hmm. how that inspired that legend Mm -hmm.
1: The Gwybier of Pymmachno. There's a valley in Wales called Wybernant, which means the Valley of the Guibir. In that valley, there lived an aged and monstrous Gwybier, and the people in the area were quite afraid of it. A man named Owen, whose name also was Owen the Prince, heard of the monstrous winged serpent and decided to try and defeat the beast. But he was not a fool, and he decided to seek the wisdom of an old wise man named Rhys Diwin whose name means either ardent wizard or perhaps fire wizard. Owen went to the old man and asked if he stood a chance in battle against this beast, but the old man eyed him up and down and spoke a prophecy, saying that if Owen tried to fight the Gwibir, it would surely bite him and he would die. Well, this was a grim foretelling, but Owen was not sure that he could believe the old man's prediction. So to test his powers, he put on a disguise and came back the next day dressed as a peasant, and asked once again of the old man, "'If I combat the Gwibir, will I prevail?' "'No,' said the old man. "'If you fight this beast, you will surely fall and break your neck on the rocks of the valley.'" Confused by this new prediction, and still somewhat racked with doubt, he came back a third time the following day, this time wearing the outfit of a miller, his clothing dusted with flour. "'Old man, tell me truly, if I go and fight the Gwabir, will I win?' "'No,' said the old man, "'if you go and battle that beast, you will surely be cast into the river and drown.' Now Owen felt his confidence surge. Surely this old man was a fraud, for he had come to him three times asking for an augury, and each time had been given different horrible fates. With that in mind, he went off to the valley to fight the beast.' Emboldened by his new sense of confidence, he surged into battle and was quickly bit by the poisonous beast. In shock, he stumbled backwards and then tumbled head over hill down the valley into the walls and rocks, breaking his neck, before finally rolling into the river where he quickly drowned. Some say that Owen's friends, upon finding his lifeless drowned body, ganged up and tried to kill the Gwibir. Only to see it flee down into the river, where it can still be found today, from time to time, looking up from the watery depths with malevolent eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting just reading about them and how they they prey on fish and sheep and goats and even people.
2: Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: Uh, a flying adder. Yeah. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people already have a, a fear of snakes as we've talked about frequently on the, on the show. And then, uh, they, to mm-hmm. add in flying is, uh, yeah, that's an unnecessary modification. Extra powers. <laughs> I'd like to register a complaint. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think that that's one yeah. of the most, uh, one of the most common legends across Wales, actually, because I know that they were also sort of talk, talked about in South Wales. Um, and I, Belief that there were delays to building Cardiff International Airport because people didn't want to disturb the grippiers that lived in the field. Well, you don't want them yeah. flying into
1: the engines. It'll mess things up. Too. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: wow. Well, and so, yeah, they were up, up to 40 feet in length.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: these are really big this is not just like oh yeah
2: oh you can get really tiny ones and really big ones (laughs) they just keep growing
1: that is amazing
0: little baby ones cute (laughs) ones
1: well I, i don't did you happen do people spot them i mean do people see them today
2: um some people say that they do okay. um the <laughs> there's uh, there's always gonna be an elephant i know in, in Iceland some people are very very mm, um mm-hmm.
1: I know where you're going with this yeah uh,
2: protective <laughs> over, over areas where the you know the there's elves it's, so yeah, um yeah. there's certain places you're not allowed to build ro- roads and things like that and I know there's there's definitely areas here where people you know where they they are very superstitious and they they do definitely um definitely believe in these things so. And that's why I, I thought it was very important to be respectful when depicting them.
0: Um, it is, do you think that that's a generational thing or do you think that it really crosses um, age brackets and, and that it's kind of a, a mythology that's just really steeped in the, the tradition of the country?
2: I think it, a lot of it is sort of steeped in tradition and sort of word, ma- word of mouth. I, I know that on Anglesey, some of um on uh, the Isle of uh, Anes Morn, a lot of my friends have sort of talked about these sort of little folk tales that they were told growing up. It's like, oh, don't go near the... the um, the rivers or the ponds late at night because a door will get you. <laughs> and there was all these little little sort of folk legends and, and things associated with um, with Halloween as well, sort of growing up that they would sort of tell me about, that they would sort of do sort of every year. Um, so there are these little, little folk traditions and these little sort of word of mouth things that get passed down. What, what, what was that creature that you just mentioned? Uh, uh they are basically like um like frogs um but they they can grow absolutely enormous <laughs> again
1: <laughs> Flamiga the or the water leaper is an amphibian large frog-like creature with bat-like wings and horns its youthful form still sports a tail There are lots of stories of these clever little animals stealing food from fishermen sitting on the banks of waterways, but they also have a darker side and are said to attack and devour small livestock like goats and sheep, or even domesticated pets that come too near the water leapers' habitat. According to folklore, you can kill these monsters with conventional weapons, but if you see flying horned frogs while visiting scenic whales, it's probably best to give them a wide berth and go fishing elsewhere. Could you say it again?
2: the uh, door. I'm hoping. I'm <laughs> hoping I'm saying that right. So, I, you know, normally you would like with door, you would you would roll your R at the end, and I I can't. I just can't do it, unfortunately. So,
0: I used to live in, in rural Australia, and there was um, a, a town called Armadale in New South Wales, and mm-hmm. um, there was a little town nearby. A lot of Welsh names, yeah, uh, and. and Welsh people who'd moved out there too, but this little town was Langothlin, uh ah. with a double L. And, yeah. yeah, some of the. <laughs> there's a,
2: there's a Langothlin this, here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was named after that, like uh, lots of parts of New South Wales, but uh, yeah, it's a, a very interesting language and um, certainly the, the place names uh, can be quite a mouthful.
2: Well, a British weatherman has become a social media star following a report he gave this week. Check out this tongue twister. Now, today, we had a big contrast in temperature across the UK, just 12 degrees over coastal parts of eastern England with cloudy skies. But in the sunshine in northwest Wales at RAF Mona, just up the road from Tlanbyr, Tlan to Sileo, the temperature got to 21 Celsius at 70 in Fahrenheit. Did you catch that? A sentence, not a word, right? Well, that was Channel 4's Liam Dutton nailing the pronunciation of the Welsh village with a 58-character name...
1: I don't know why the colonials all wanted to rename new places with the old names that's so strange like I can't imagine going to Mars and I'm like aha this is new Kennesaw. what
2: <laughs> it makes it quite interesting when you're when you're sort of googling or looking up the town where you live like if I type Bangor uh-huh. um, which is where I I'm, where, where I'm originally from um, if I type that into into google it'll come up with one uh, I think on the coast of England, but also in America somewhere. Exactly in Maine. Yeah. So it's it's just like oh, so which which one do you mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> There's exactly. three different ones oh. to pick from.
1: And, and the and the one in Maine is uh, Stephen King country. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> ah.
0: and I think it's uh, adventurers going to places and saying, "Oh, this reminds me of this particular place," and
1: yeah, mm. uh,
0: seeing similarities between places. But yeah, you get that so much in Australia and uh, and in America too. Lots of places mm. named after. English towns and cities.
1: It, it is amazing how much we reuse the names. Uh, and and again, it, these monsters, you know, they they the the whole category of dragon, you know, has got a kind of a global footprint. It's 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 a cre- yeah, so we've yeah, definitely talked about that before. But you also draw a lot of fairy type creatures. C- can you talk about some of that a little bit?
2: I did for this book. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was absolutely fascinating, sort of looking into those because I didn't realize that there were so many different types of welsh fairy um they are sort of sort of under a, an umbrella term um i'm hoping i'm going to say this right is twith tag um and they're basically the fair folk and there's different types of fair folk and um, there's some that live in the mountains there's the elves there's mine fairies there's there's fairies that live in your house um and there's there's ones that live under the water and mountain dwelling ones and they've all they're all quite distinct and interesting and vary quite massively in size and appearance um i think one of the ones oh sorry (laughs) we took
0: it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth
1: Alien species that are Sasquatch. Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right.
0: That is a face on Mars eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball.
2: Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook.
1: I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Waggon.
0: Oh, sorry, I was just going to ask about the mines. Would mm. these be coal mines there?
2: Yeah, yeah. Mostly coal, coal mines? Or- coal and slate and gold. Um, and ah, there'd okay. be, um, I don't know. I think they they sort of took this one over to America when they went over. Um, the, it was called a buka in Welsh but also known as a knocker. Oh,
1: the Tommy knockers. They, yeah.
2: Yeah. They, they'd knock on walls to sort of oh. warn you about that. You were getting a bit too close to their nests or that they, the cave was about to cave in. They would sort of n- apparently knock on the walls to sort of warn you that that's going to happen. Yeah. And it's quite interesting how that legend sort of went over to the U S
1: <laughs> it is. There's a lot of really creepy mind lore. Yeah. It's it's a creepy job. So yeah. And dangerous
2: being absolutely
1: do a show black. on that <laughs> yeah, it's quite scary a lot of my fears though like this show is <laughs> there's a running theme on the show of this show's based on things that scared the crap out of us when we were kids and <laughs> Karen,
0: that's how it started uh-huh. yeah. yeah karen and i both
1: read a lot of you know spooky books when we were growing up and i remember when i read was amazing real life coincidences and there was a whole section in there that had coincidences around um people being in minds and hearing voices, telling them stop, go, 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 get out now, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, it saved their life, but they have no idea whose voice Mm -hmm. it was. And I I love those stories, Mm because you don't know if they're real or not. But also, like some people say that in times of crisis, you can, your own subconscious can be telling you to do stuff that's Sound advice, but it doesn't feel like it's coming from within you, like you've become disassociated from yourself in this terrible, terrible, scary time. Yeah. So I don't know what the truth mm-hmm. is, but I, I yeah. do find those stories fascinating and creepy. So
0: you're making me think of uh, a friend when I was in high school who was uh, traveling on a bus one day to uh, somewhere in Sydney and heard a voice screaming in his ear telling him to get off the bus right now. Mm-hmm. So he did, and absolutely nothing happened. That was it. He couldn't find the source i mean there were people on around him who were asleep or on their phones um so he didn't know where it came from but yeah absolutely nothing came of it so i always uh, just think about that story is just the kind of mundanity of, of these kinds of coincidences but mm. it, i'd imagine it'd be a pretty creepy thing to have something like that happen you'd think it would have to be an omen of some kind
1: mm. that's quite creepy <laughs> um When I was looking at your Mm -hmm. art, I noticed that you had a creature that I've seen before in some kinds of festivals, and it's this horse horse headed creature or horse skull.
2: Ah, yeah the um, the Mary Lloyd.
1: (laughs) Yeah, wait have you seen those Have you seen those in live reenactments or live festivals or something?
2: I, I haven't yet, unfortunately. I, I I was meaning to finally go um last year, but unfortunately I, I wasn't able to make it. Um but it's something I really want to go and see. Um I've even got my own horse skull in the studio. It's it's sat right behind me. <laughs> um and that that one is it's it's more sort of associated with South Wales, but there is an an Asmon um Mary Lloyd as well, um, which sort of comes out every year. So I, I would absolutely love to go and see it and go and sort of take part in the festivities. What and things.
1: What, what are the festivities like? I mean, what do we I don't I'm, I'm assuming most of our audience has probably never he- even heard of this creature. But uh, I'll put we, I don't I, I don't want to put your art into our show notes, but I'll put a link to your page so people can see what, what we're talking about here. But it's a, a, a sort of a human and a, in the in the reenactments or whatever these festivals are, it's a person in a costume with a giant. Horned horse skull on their head and robes and stuff. Yeah, some,
2: sometimes it has horns. Sometimes it has bells hanging from it. Uh, sometimes I'll put mistletoe around its head or holly or, or rowan berries. It just it depends on what sort of significance necessarily sort of goes with, with what they're celebrating or what they're trying to do. Um, sort of Rowan berries would be seen as a as a sign of protection against sort of evil spirits and things like that. So you you sort of you could make sort of crown of it over the top of the of the creature. Um, basically it's a person in a with a pole with the, the skull attached to a pole and they sort of articulate the mouth with a string um with a white sheet over them. And there's a couple of different ideas of where this came from. Um, There's a couple of different legends as well that surround it. One of them was that uh, it was um, the mare that was sort of kicked out of the stable um when when uh jesus was born they they sort of kicked this mare who was about to give birth out of the stable so that mary could um and mm. basically she's wandering the the land trying to find a safe place to give birth to her foal um and that's that's probably the saddest one that i've heard um sort of other, other ones mm. were sort of like um um again that it, it get that sort of plays into how she sort of knocks on doors and she's trying to gain entry. Um to, to get food, and if there's the, like this um, sort of back and forth between people, so they all she'll sort of sing a song, and the people around her will sort of sing a song, and then the other person in the house will have to sing one back, sort of saying why they don't want to let her in. And then eventually, there's a, this sort of back and forth until eventually you, you have to let her in, and then you just have sort of like a party in your house. <laughs> it's, it's usually done in a pub these days, though. <laughs> just love
0: the illustrations and uh, I'm looking at the pictures of the the water fairies now and uh, oh, I yeah. find them really interesting. It seems like they're predominantly women. Mm. Yeah, um,
2: you definitely get male ones and as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, you can. Well, yeah. what I found uh, interesting is that they're actually kind of wise women, or mm-hmm. cunning women, or healers as well. Yeah, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that?
2: What's quite interesting is that they they usually they would teach people things. So a lot of the time when people came across these sort of water fairies, um, they would teach them skills, or they would um again sometimes they would marry into human families and the the children that they had would would end up being quite intelligent or or end up becoming doctors or physicians and things like that and they again it might be one of those things where they'd explain someone being sort of remarkably talented or or exceptional as being
1: part fairy you mentioned the book the mabinogian is that right mabinogian
2: uh, it's basically a, it's two different books. So there's the red book and the white book, um, which again will sound quite familiar for if you're a Tolkien fan. Um, and there's the the oh there's two different books, and basically they are a collection of stories from Welsh folklore, um, sort of including an awful lot of Arthurian legend. A beautiful um, illustrated version of the Mabinogion by um, Alan Lee.
1: Oh really? Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the, he's again one of the artists who worked on the Lord of the uh-huh. Rings
1: films. Yeah.
2: Um, and his artwork uh-huh. is absolutely gorgeous. I've got it as part of my collection as well.
0: I'm looking at the mermaids now. So, the, the Morgan. Um, can you tell us a little bit about them and are they related to other kinds of mermaids um, in other I, cultures?
2: It is very, very similar to sort of mermaids from other cultures. Um, these are a little bit different. Sometimes they're sort of like mermaids um and they have tails sometimes they don't they can again they're kind of shapeshifters um some of them they, they these these ones are sort of particularly associated with being able to manipulate water um and they can sort of, they're sort of associated with uh with floods and heavy rain A- apparently they were sort of renowned for sort of Having relationships with fishermen and then sort of leaving the babies on the shore for the fishermen to raise, mm-hmm. and then when the child uh-huh. reached, reached at, adulthood, they would return to their family in the water, which again it is is quite similar to the sort of selkie legends um, from Ireland.
1: So wait, so so they 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 grow up and then they go to school? Okay, it's another pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's, uh, fish school. Yeah. <laughs> And so you talk about their um, <laughs> their villages as well, as they're, they're mm-hmm. decorated with jewels and with coins and crystals.
2: Yeah, they'd be sort of described uh, as having these very, very ornate underwater cities, which is which was a fascinating thing to research and, and to look into, because I, I didn't know about any of this before I started looking into it and reading about them. And I'm too shiny. Watch me like a diamond
1: in the rough. my stuff, my stuff is so shiny. And your armies, but will never be enough. Oh, 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 I got to know. Okay, I feel terrible cuz like every, every one of these I can't read. It's like I see the letters but they seem intimidating to me. Twort truth <laughs> like the oh. the boar, the giant boar.
2: Now uh, this this one I do really struggle to pronounce um and I don't know if I'm just trying to just trying to dig him
1: out where it is. Looks like twort truth almost that's probably that's Tourist, tourist. I think again, looks, if, if people that would, sounds plausible. Yeah.
2: <laughs> if people would correct me, that would be great. Because again, I I am a learner. I'm not a fluent speaker. This is... <laughs> so no
1: worries. It's
0: better than we could attempt.
2: Yeah. I I was fluent as a child, but it's something which um which unfortunately I when oh. I I moved away when I was about six years old, um and then sort of moved back to to North Wales and I'm now living in North Wales again now. Um, Was it your first language? Uh, No, no. English was my first language, but I went to a Welsh school, so it was all Welsh speaking. So it made it interesting then going to an English school, speaking Welsh (laughs) and getting very confused.
1: Mm -hmm. This was an Irish prince that later became a total bore. (laughs)
2: Oh no. <laughs> no!
1: But he sounds like. I mean, it, the picture you've drawn—he's like pierced with arrows. And it says his uh, his uh, razor hair is like poisonous. It sounds like a quite a curse.
2: He's sort of covered in these poisonous quills that, if they sort of brushed against you, they they poison you. Um, and he's sort of. Uh, talked about in the Mabinogion the collection of stories. Um I think he's Yeah. mentioned in the the Red Book of Hergest.
1: Yeah, it says he was uh actually I guess driven out by King Arthur himself. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Driven off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well that's very biblical. Uh yeah, that's <laughs> something.
0: Another uh creature I was interested in and again that I can't pronounce that the Angel of Death. Oh yeah. Uh Anglistor and but it seems like it's a Halloween legend?
2: Yeah, Angelethor. Um I think that's again, I hopefully I said that correctly. <laughs> um that one's quite a scary one that, that I found out. That's that's not too far. That's um in the town of Conway, uh in North Wales. Where it's basically this this mm-hmm. there's this old yew tree, which is apparently a portal to another world. Um and each Halloween this uh this sort of angel of death this this spirit would come out of the tree and sort of make its way into the church and sort of stand at the the pew and just sort of like recite all the names of the people who were going to die that year so mm-hmm. there'd be this sort of uh, people would sort of dare each other to sort of go to the go to the graveyard and sort of wait to see if anything happened and there's this particular story of a man um i think called Sean Sean um who uh mm-hmm again went to the went to the graveyard and saw it and and sort of um, and had his name called out and died sort of within that year so it's, it's, it's quite a few stories surrounding that which are quite scary
0: and is that a, a popular spot for legend tripping
2: today it was very much sort of like a local legend um and sort of people would sort of hear about it from word of mouth and and occasionally there'd be like little books um that would mention mm. it as well there'd be this this one book called um i think rumors and oddities from north wales and i think it it's mentioned in there um and there's just like little little hints about it but you wouldn't necessarily know unless you spoke to local people and they told you about that particular story
0: i think it would be a very popular thing if there was a legend like that around here and uh it makes me think too that at some point these legends could be resurrected certainly through your book as, as well uh and with people starting to tell them again and mm-hmm. to share them and maybe to to do that kind of thing which is good for tourism
2: I, I know that there's a lot of uh a lot of tourism around um around conway but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> i don't think i would be brave enough <laughs> brave enough to go <laughs> I know they do Halloween walks and things every every year and I think they actually do include the graveyard ah. in those Halloween walks. But yeah, they well, normally until <laughs> <before> midnight.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that sounds fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I like the uh, the the black dog. Yeah, a okay. So the second G's hard Giffy. Okay. Yeah, so, so, ah, it's but this this fits right into uh black dog lore all over mm-hmm. in oh well, I guess all over the UK mm-hmm. for that matter. It's it's a pretty
2: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of black dog legends from around the UK.
1: I, I love your artwork though. You've you've incorporated uh like what do they call it triskelons and spirals and stuff into the stonework. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. That's nice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like some traditional oh. Celt- like Celtic symbols in there, old old sort of Britonic symbols. Which I thought was quite fun.
0: It seems like you have kind of alien big cats as well. Which oh we yeah. get a lot of stories of those in in the states and in Australia. To mm. had a of, lot um, of those and urban legends about. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, a lot, people a... seeing
2: pumas. Apparently, that's been. I think there's a, there's even a website dedicated to it called Puma Watch, where people can report sightings of uh, of pumas in North Wales. It's been quite interesting watching what's been going on. Wow.
0: Wow. Ah, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, we've certainly dealt with that a lot on this show too. Um, and uh, I know in Australia um, that there were stories of uh, or claims that American soldiers had brought pumas into the country uh, mm. during World War II and just left them there or mascots and uh, maybe that they'd brought along claims of the thylacine everywhere in australia still
1: it's one of those animals i really want to still be alive i feel pretty confident that they were wiped yeah, out but it
2: would be nice if they were still they're here, so interesting. Still yeah,
1: that, yeah it's just mm-hmm. that's i just i'm fascinated by all of the marsupials they're such interesting animals mm-hmm. and and except we have the in america we have the opossum the virginia opossum uh, which i think actually came mm-hmm. out from south america but i think that's the only marsupial that got stuck here uh, on, the, on the Americas when, when Australia mm-hmm. decided to go on a walkabout. <laughs> <laughs> Fee, fi, fo, fung. Fee, fi, fo, fung.
2: Fee, fi, fo, fung. E hi, ho, hum.
0: Did want to ask about the uh, the giants? And I'll oh, let you pronounce.
2: The Kuri. <laughs> so, oh, those, those um, are fascinating. Yeah absolutely fascinating to look into because they they varied so dramatically in size, all the different stories I found about them. They could just be a very, very tall human or they could literally mm-hmm. be the size of a mountain. They, they could use a mountain mm-hmm. as a throne. Um, and, and again, oh. sometimes they were shapeshifters. They, they had like a sort of more monstrous form or they had a more humanoid form. Um, and um they they are again they're mentioned in the mabinogion as well um and they so they, again they they have quite a mixed like a lot of the creatures in the book they have a quite a mixed um sort of type of stories that are told about them sometimes they're described as as quite barbaric and 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 um and monstrous and others described them as having interesting culture and having you know being skilled warriors and poets so there's a very big distinction between like you can you can see where sort of christianity sort of came in and started sort of retelling some of the stories and sort of demonizing nice. some of the some of the um of the creatures so there's the sort of this shift in tone sometimes when you're reading about them sometimes they're described as very intelligent very fascinating that they'd they'd be sort of like um quite helpful towards humans and then there'd be these very very dramatic differences where they'd be described as demons and and you see that mm-hmm. in the the story of the um the Keen Conanun which are the the hounds of the Anun. Um and that is the the origin of the Hellhound legend. The these these sort of spiritual oh. hounds that would, would follow the wild hunt um with the sort of the fairy kings from Anun, which is the the Welsh Otherworld. Um and they would mm. you can basically you the the closer they are to you, the quieter their barks would be, but the further away they were. The louder they'd be, so you wouldn't necessarily know how close they were. It sounded like they were leaving you alone, but then they'd suddenly be on you, kind of thing. Um, oh, and that was, oh, scary. That, was <laughs> that was a really interesting one to learn about because I, I didn't realize that that had sort of inspired the sort of hellhound narrative.
1: Hounds are interesting because we we see them as pets, and that's really an easy way to think of them. But in less civilized times. It wasn't unusual to run into wild hounds, and uh, if you've ever been pursued by wild dogs, um, it is an unpleasant experience. And the, we have the word "I can't say that." I yeah, haven't. well, I was, we, we've got the word "hounded," and we think yeah. of it that it's, it's still in our language, but it's not an experience most of us have had. But if I, I still remember, like running into packs of bad dogs, you know, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> like- oh, gosh,
0: that sounds scary, yeah, Matt. My my husband uh, was out. Um, using a ski-doo or something in uh, uh, Colorado, kind of uh, northern Colorado, during winter and was attacked by a couple of very hungry, um, thin, mangled-looking coyotes or coyotes, mm-hmm. whatever you prefer. So, yeah, he has a, a scar on one of his hands from that attack. But a oh, um, no. pretty frightening thing to happen. Have yeah. you ever had anything like that touch wood?
2: No, no, we don't really have that kind of thing here, so... Yeah. It's not something really we really wrote worry about to be honest.
1: I didn't see Gogmagog uh mentioned in your book but the that Welsh giant lore is is quite famous. Uh the the like it, and I guess that is actually shows up in uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth's history Region britannia. Um
2: I don't, I don't think I've actually heard of that one.
1: Gogmagog I couldn't talk about giants in the UK without throwing in a little background on the story of the giant known as Gogmagog. There are two stories about the giant's name's origins, but it seems likely that it comes from a Welsh tradition originally and so therefore merits a mention in this episode. The giant Gogmagog is mentioned briefly in Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain, which was compiled in the 12th century. Now, despite its name, the book's actually a rather fanciful collection of hero narratives and royal accomplishments, and is now seen more as a work of literature than history, though it was long considered to be factual during its history as a reference book. In the story, there's a wrestling match between the giant Gogmagog and Corinius, a companion of Brutus of Troy. For those of you who are into researching how nationalist narratives tie ancient myths to far-slung nations, the character of Brutus is attempting to tie England with ancient Troy, the same way that the Romans themselves claimed that their history lay there. It's also similar to how Joseph of Arimathea is claimed to have gone to Glastonbury. Quirinius fights Gogmagog in a wrestling match and tosses him off of a rock in order to defeat him. Gogmagog represents the last of the giants that those heroes found living in the country of Albion, which we now call England. The name Gogmagog sounds suspiciously like the characters Gog and Magog mentioned in the book of Revelations. However, this itself seems to be a corruption of a reference in the biblical book of Ezekiel to a man named Gog from Magog. So if this is the correct etymology, the man from a place becomes a single name in Revelations and then becomes the name of a giant in English folklore. However... An 1860s annotated version of Monmouth's book above, by Manly Pope, suggests that the name Gogmagog may have been a corruption of the Welsh name Garmadoc, or Madoc the Great. Regardless of the true origin, this legend was enough to inspire me to imagine a giant mechanical beast that could be activated during times of need to come to the aid of England. And I imagined that this monstrous construct might be housed in the tower that currently holds Big Ben. And so I named it Cog Mech Cog and had an artist illustrate it. It's just a bit of silliness, but since I spent my five spot to have it drawn, I'm throwing it in the show notes for your amusement.
2: Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I'm still sort of learning about all these different legends, so whenever something else pops up, I'm not that surprised.
1: Well, it's it's a gorgeous book. Oh. I I I think our listeners are really mm-hmm. going to love it. So, um, each, each each entry has uh, some oh. text, and then this gorgeous artwork. Uh, is there going to be any uh, supplementary stuff? Are you going to like sell any prints from the book, or any you know kind of uh, get it on a I mug or do. whatever? So.
2: I do have a couple of prints available on my website, so if people go over to my to my website, they can they can find a variety of shops there where I sell some prints with different mythical creatures on them.
1: Outstanding. Great. I, I, Great. I would I would so, love Nicole? to drink from Mary Lloyd. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think I've got any mugs.
0: Oh no! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: a good idea,
2: though.
0: i Cole, what's next for you? What are you and working on now?
2: At the moment, I've been sort of taking a little bit of a break and working on my portfolio um, sort of learning how to draw people a little bit better. Um, okay. But I'm also working on a project which specifically explores Welsh dragons and dragon-like creatures. Um, and it's literally called Welsh Dragons. Um, and that is what I'm working on on at the moment. Um, I'm also working on a project with my publisher, which hopefully will be announced soon. I'm I'm just sort of ironing out the contract with them at the moment. So unfortunately, I can't talk about it Mm. just yet, but it will be something to do with dragons, um, particularly British dragons. um, And that will be hopefully getting announced soon, (laughs) which is quite exciting. We'll we'll stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you. For sure.
1: So we'd like to... We like to finish out our interviews with this terribly unfair question: uh, What's your favorite monster?
2: <laughs> oh, I think I think my one of my favorites is definitely the gourbiere. I think because it's it's probably one of the most scary, but it's also one of the ones that I really enjoy drawing because I quite like drawing mm-hmm. reptiles and snakes and the scales and things like that. And I think yeah, the gourbiere is definitely one of my favorites.
1: And, and remind us that's that's the one that's sort of toad like or.
2: Uh, that's that's the one which is a snake that's oh, the sort of snake the flies. a
1: snake that flies. Yeah, mm. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I also quite enjoy drawing the cockatrice because I like giving them quite derpy-looking faces, like quite funny eyes and funny expressions. I can sort of just yeah. imagine them being quite quite bird-like or quite chicken-like and just <laughs> just being quite funny. Nice. Mm.
0: Yeah, and the, those are good answers and ones we haven't had on the show before. That's
2: before.
1: absolutely true. <laughs> Well, I, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I think our listeners are really good. They're going to love this.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah.
1: Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: You just heard an interview with Cole Ellis, author and illustrator of Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts. A link to the book's pre-order page is in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as When Things Go Wrong, Legends of the Old West, and Food with Mark Bittman. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not take a minute and thank Karen on social media? Because she put a ton of work in making this one happen. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for putting us in your ear holes like Mesopotamian ghosts.
0: In a Monster House presentation.